Our scripture reading for today comes from John chapter 11, verses 1 through 44. And so it's a long one, maybe a familiar story, but um, let's be engaged as we hear God speak to us in his word. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to the disciples, Let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and are you going there again? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble, because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles, because the light is not in him. After saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant taking rest and sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I am glad that I was not there, so that you may believe. But let us go to him. So Thomas, called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. Now when Jesus came... He found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, The teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, Where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, Come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, 
Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out! The man who had died came out his hands and feet bound with linen strips, and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. It helps if you turn it on. Thank you, Michael. Thank you, Sarah Grace, for reading. Uh, once again, good evening. Um, thank you. <laughs> We're slacking, but it's all right. Hey, uh, I need y'all to shepherd me. Um, some of y'all are looking at me right now like, he has not learned, and he's going to learn the hard way. These long sleeves got on. He's going to learn. I need y'all to shepherd me through this first summer in this city. Um, the water bottle situation. I was talking to my mechanic, and I was like, oh, yeah, I'll take care of it. I'll take care of it sooner. She said, does your AC work? I said, I'll take care of it sooner later. She said, no, I need to tell you. You need to take care of it. Let me just get my timer set. But I need y'all to shepherd me um, through this time. Everywhere else I've lived in, a, in the United States, when someone says, it's get, it gets really hot here. <laughs> oh, I grew up in Africa. And I'm like, oh, yeah, you got it. In Tucson, when I say I grew up in Africa, people are like, no, you, you don't understand. <laughs> you don't understand, brother. Like, this is more than Africa heat, right? But I'm here for it. I'm, I'm here for it. I'm happy to be here. I love you all. So shepherd me. Tell me I need a water bottle. Everything needs to be done. Um, I always remind you, and I hope this not be the last time, or the first time you've heard me say this, but I'll say this again. James chapter 3, verse 1, implores me, warns me, that what I'm going to do in the next half hour, I will be judged more strictly for. Right? The preaching of the word of God, the teaching of the Bible, is something that is significant uh, for the preacher. Uh, it is not a task to be taken lightly. And... What I'm going to do right here in the next half hour in eternity, I, Marcus Doe, will be judged for. So when I approach the, the scriptures, I take it very seriously. So I make sure that the Holy Spirit is speaking, the study that I spent, the time that I spent in it, um, is from the Lord and is helpful um, for correction, rebuke, teaching, and all those things. Can I get an amen? amen. Let us pray. 
Thank you, Father God, for just your wisdom, uh, just your love, your, your, your presence, O oh Lord. I am grateful that you use my voice to share the gospel of Jesus Christ that has been shared millions of billions of times over, whether in personal conversations or in group dynamics. Lord, I pray that you speak to a heart, a hearts here today. Um, not anything that Marcus Doe wants to say, but what do you want to say to Redemption Tucson on this weekend through this story, through this passage of scripture? And you create Saul's hearts as seeds may land and grow. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight. In Jesus' name, amen. John Stott was a great preacher in London, or in England, years and years ago. I think he passed away in the late, late 90s, if I'm correctly uh, mistaken, correctly stating. He wrote a book. The book was called Between Two Worlds, uh, a, very, a great book published in 1982, but he talks about the preacher's job. He talks about how preachers or anyone communicating the gospel or teaching the Bible should be able to straddle two worlds. The book is called Between Two Worlds. He's, he talks about the three gaps that preachers or anyone who is communicating the gospel has to clear. One is the cultural gap from our 21st century world to the first century or wherever the, wherever the story of the Bible was written, right? That 20th century gap he talks about. He talks about the linguistic gap. Because you know, if you speak a second language, you know that some things are linguistically bound. They're hard to unwind. And the Bible was originally written, right, in Greek and Hebrew and Aramaic. So there is a gap when we translate from those languages to our English, right? Because language is constantly involved. That's the second. The, the third thing he talks about is, a t is the chronological, the, sorry, chronological, linguistic, and cultural gap. The cultural gap is what preachers try to bridge the most, right? When David talks about ripping his clothes off and putting sackcloth on his head, that's a culture thing that we may not do, we don't do today, right? So my job is to hold the 21st century in one hand and the first century in another and bring you to it. You guys understand? So this passage, there are a few things in there that kind of get through to all of these gaps that gets us through so we can understand what was happening why is it important, and what does it mean for me today in Tucson? Amen? Pick me up in verse 6. Thank you, Mary Grace, for reading. Verse 6 of John chapter 11 is where I am. I know I skipped ahead a little bit, but stay with me. He said, So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. So the story is, Jesus, his friend, who he loves, is, 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 has an illness. An illness is going to cost him his life, right? He loves his, both his sisters and the brother. So Jesus gets there, and the, the way that the story is communicated is like, he stayed two days longer. After he heard the news that Lazarus has died, he stayed two days longer. It doesn't make sense. It seems like it doesn't add up. Like, Jesus, are you showing that you care about him by staying away for two days? When you hear someone is dying, what do you do? If you need to get on the plane, you get on the plane. If you need to get there quicker, you get there, right? But Jesus is waiting two days. By the way, the distance between the two the places where Lazarus dies and where Jesus is is only two miles. 
I think it's two miles from here to I-10. I could be wrong. Dave, you're going to help me out. Um, but it takes him four days to get there. From a human point of view, you know this is unnatural, right? It almost seems like Jesus is cruel. Man, your friend, you have all this power. You are God in human flesh. You can change this situation, yet you do not move. Some of you guys have been there where it seems like you've prayed. And God is just absolutely laying an egg on you. He's not even, he's not, he's not coming when he could. He's not, he's not, he's not urgently moving on your time schedule when you, you really want him to, right? But Jesus says something to his disciples. He says, this illness that, that Lazarus has does not lead to death. This illness does not lead to death. You and I just read the story, Lazarus died. So what is Jesus saying? <laughs> we got you, Jesus, right? You said the illness doesn't lead to death, and your boy died. Imagine the disciples. He just told them that illness doesn't lead to death, but then the guy dies. So what's happening? Jesus shows his love here, man, in a, in a magnificent way. He says, we're going to go back we're going to go back to Lazarus' home. We're going to go back there. And the disciples warned him, said, listen, if you mentioned, if we, we talked about this last week, that he was going to be stoned. This is the same neighborhood. He's like, we're going back to the neighborhood where I would have been stoned and possibly killed so I can show God's glory. He says, this illness, this illness does not lead to death, but it's, this illness is for showing God's glory. He does this for all of us. He goes to dangerous places so he can bring us out. If you're here, say amen. Jesus, every single person in here, Jesus has gone to a dangerous place to pull you out. Verse 9 and 10, Jesus answers the question of... <laughs> When you go there, you're going to this place where you get stoned. And he says, aren't there 12 hours in a day? Right? Non sequitur. Mr. Gaussman, somewhere is going to be happy. My 11th grade English teacher. <laughs> right? They're saying you're going to be stoned, but he's saying, aren't there 12 hours in a day? It doesn't make sense. What he's saying is that my time has not yet come. It is still light in my life. Night has not come yet. You understand? There was an old song that we used to sing that you can do the work of God and do it during the day because everybody's night is coming. Night meaning the day that you are the guest of honor at a, at a funeral, right? When your night has come. Jesus is saying, my night has not come. There's still 12 hours of my day. I'm not worried. I'm not fearing any man, as Dr. King would say. Jesus' love for us is fearless. It's fearless. There's a lot of songs out that talk about it, right? Right? It is fearless. Jesus is going to show that he has the power over what seems like it is all powerful. If you notice, everyone in the story assumes this is the end of Lazarus's life. Right? Mary and Martha said, if you would have been here, Lord, my brother would not have died. Everybody is assuming, like, okay, death is the end. This is it. They're human. 
right? This is the end. Jesus goes, will go, and will continue to go to dangerous places to pull us out. What does this mean for us in the community? Jenny Bell, God is using you. You might not know this, but that word you spoke about community, I just had to, I just had to smile. I didn't talk to you all week. All right. Right? In two places in the story, both sisters say in verse 21 and 32, if you would have been here, my brother would not have died. I can't tell you how many times as a pastor that people will use not these words, but words to say, God has neglected me in some way, shape, or form. If he would have been here, this and this wouldn't have happened. If he would have been here, right? We, I know people who lost family members in the past year, right? You couldn't say goodbye to them. They're in a hospital room. If you would have been here, Lord, my uncle, my grandfather, brother or sister, if you would have been here, you wouldn't have died. But let's be clear. Lazarus died. In Jewish superstition and culture, when someone dies, superstitiously they believe that it took three days. The spirit of the person still hovered for three days. You smell what Jesus is cooking when he waited for four days. He's trying to remove all doubt. No superstitions here, right? Right? Folks were buried on the, the same day they died. They were put in the tomb, right? He is dead. So this miracle is not like, oh, maybe he was partially breathing or he had a near-death experience. I like to say he had a far-life experience, <laughs> Right? Um, Hebrew spirituality around dead bodies, people were buried quickly, right? Jesus, knowing all of this, is very unhurried. I, I control everything. I can chill. I can do this now. We can do this later, right? But we're going to do this. Sometimes it seems like our timeline when Jesus shows up is too late. You know, you waited for the answer to prayer and it didn't happen, and something else happened that you really didn't want, and it's too late. How many of you here know that Jesus is Lord on both sides of eternity? Both sides of death. He is Lord over, and he's going to show us. If you're reading too fast through the story, if you're more concerned about the miracle, because you've read the story, you've heard the story, if you've been in Sunday school, you know the story of Lazarus. So when you're reading it, you kind of read, that's why I had... Uh, Sarah Grace, read it, the whole thing, so you can kind of sit in it for a little bit. Because sometimes when we hear these stories, David and Goliath, Lazarus, we know the story. Well, we, do we know the story? Verse 31, I want to draw your attention to a verse that most people will miss. It says, when the Jews who were in her house, referring to Martha, consoling her, sorry, Mary, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to weep there. So her sister met Jesus at the edge of the village and said, if you would have been here, my brother would not have died. Jesus, okay. And he goes through, as he, as he walks through, Mary comes out of the house and she says the same thing to Jesus. But here's what I want you to, to, to hone in on. 
when the Jews who were with her in her house consoling her. Jenny Bell, here you go. When the Jews who were in her house, who were with her in her house consoling her. Can I put my feet up on your couch? Can I put my feet, I'm just, I'm on your block, I'm going to try to get in your house right now. Is that okay? You understand the metaphor. I'm going to say some things right now that you may not appreciate with your Western mind, but I'm going to say it. Okay? I'm, I'm just going to say it. I want to challenge you for a minute to think about culture for a minute, like cultural gap, right? We talk constantly about, man, as Christians, we want to live countercultural lives. We want our life as Christians to look different, right, than the world around us. Nobody's saying amen. They're like, what, what, where are you going with this, Marcus? Where are you going? Where are you going, right? This is, this is one way. This is one way that we can live counterculturally. I want you to stay with me. People are gathered at her house to console her. Normally in our culture, when someone loses a parent, a brother dies, someone has grief, what do we do? We may send a card. We may do a meal train, which is great, right? Do we go and sit with them? It's like, well, that person needs their space. As someone who's lost more people than I can count, I want people with me. Are you hearing me? Right? We want to give people their space. We're like, oh, man, I don't know if I should be doing this. The time when people are in grief is a time you offer up your ministry of presence. Can I keep going? Sometimes we're a little bit afraid to get it wrong. Like, man, does that person really want me in their house? It's a cultural, it's a cultural thing, right? We, we, I, I'm here with you. I've been in America for 28 years, right? I'm culturally American. When someone dies, I'm like, I, I don't really want to go to their house. When I get a wedding invitation, I put it up on the fridge. When someone dies, what do I do? I don't want anything to do with that. Ooh. You guys here? It's all quiet up in here. Is the mic working, Mike? Is it, is it good? Right? When I talk about community, Christian community, Jenny Bell was saying, when you're in an RC, let me break it down this way, in Tucson, something happens to somebody all of us are far away from our parents. Some of us are really far or far away from community. We need to gather around that person, sit with them and console them in this time, right? I'm going to start crying in a minute. I'm going to start crying. This piece of scripture, this piece of scripture was the first sermon I ever heard in a church. I was eight years old, Methodist Church on Ashman Street in Monrovia, Liberia. I can tell you the backstory, but it will, you will miss the point. I'm sitting in that pew, and the pastor, you know, way up there, right? And she's preaching about Lazarus being raised from the dead. This is the first sermon that I heard, and I correctly remember. Here's why that's significant. The next year, I'm sitting in the same church one year later. My mother is in a casket in the front of that church. And I'm sitting on the front row as a nine-year-old and saying, but I heard the sermon. 
God raised Lazarus from the dead. Why can't he do it for me? Why can't he do it for me? Too late. He came too late. Can you do it for me, God? There I was sitting there. Here's the irony. Here's the irony. If you don't believe in God, I want you to listen to me right now. Here's the irony. That day that my mother was in the casket and I was sitting on the front row was 32 years to today. I didn't catch that until Thursday. This very day, April 24th, was when my mother died. Can I keep going? Within hours of that night, this night 32 years ago, my house was filled. No telephones, no cell phones, no text messages. People, people came to my house. And part of it is our culture. We come, we call it, we lay down a mat. People come with their mats to your house when you lose a family member. And they just roll it out and they're sleeping. They will take over washing dishes. They will take over vacuuming. They will take over making sure your kids get to school. They're staying in your house for 40 days. I'm not saying, check with the person for right? it. <laughs> I'm not saying go up in there and start going up in their fridge, vacuuming stuff, just, right? But you understand what I'm saying. That's culture. They didn't want us as kids and my dad to be alone in grief. If you're on the receiving end of this in the West, it can be kind of funny, right? People are in your house. You don't know what's happening. Why are all these people here? A ministry of presence. My last point, and I'll move on. What do you think that's going to do in your neighborhood? Oh, your neighbors see people coming in and out of your house. Who are these people coming to somebody's house? How are they showing love? I see meals coming. I see their kids taken care of. You want to live out counterculturally as a Christian? You see it? You won't have to preach a sermon, folks. Your neighbor's going to be like, what's going on? They're not alone. That's countercultural. You may never preach a sermon, but that is just one way to live counterculturally. Jesus resurrected Lazarus to live. He resurrected all of us so that we can live. There's this idea that floats around in our unconscious that says, when I get saved, I just sit and wait to go to heaven. I just sit and wait to go to heaven. I'm good. But what about here? What about the already, but the not yet? Right? How can we show Christian love while we are here? This is the miracle that Jesus does that ends all miracles. I must be preaching good because my daughter is going nuts. I love it. This is the miracle that ends all miracles. Jesus calls. Verse 44, it says, the man who had died, the man who had died came out after Jesus calls him, his hands and feet bound in linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus says, unbind him and let him go. This is the miracle that actually gets Jesus. This is, the, this is the straw that breaks the camel's back with the Jewish, with the Pharisees. This is the one. Here's why this is important. 
This is the one because the, all the Pharisees and all the leaders know that when the Messiah was to come, one of the miracles that he would do that proves that he is the Messiah is he would raise someone from the dead. Right? Matthew eleven three 3 says, John the Baptist is in prison at this point, and, and he sends a word to Jesus. He says, are you the one who is to come, or should I expect someone else? John the Baptist wants to know, right? And Jesus replies to his, his messenger. He says, go back and report to John what you hear. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, and the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. So he is telling him, I have done all of these things, and here is another one. I am raising somebody from the dead. So I'm telling you, Diana the Messiah, by doing and telling you at the same time. Right? He raises Lazarus, and he says, go. You have been unbound. Lazarus is dead. He's dead four days. I was sitting there this week thinking, how many ways can I explain when someone dies? He's dead scientifically. He's dead culturally. He's dead superstitiously, right? He is dead. Dead, dead, dead. Let me say this. A lot of us here are walking beside people, working alongside people, taking classes with people who are dead. Uh-oh. Right? They may not be scientifically dead or culturally dead or superstitiously dead, but they are spiritually dead. You walk among dead people. Jesus just didn't raise Lazarus physically. So when he's talking to his disciples and he says, this sickness does not lead to death, he's not lying. He is saying that I'm going to raise him physically, right? He's just asleep, right? Spiritually, he's alive. I'm going to wake him back up physically, but he's not dead. Ephesians 4, Ephesians 2, 4 and 5 says, But God, being rich in, rich in mercy, because the great love of which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. We walk this life and can be completely dead. But God, even in we were dead in our sins, he raised us. How many of you know that Jesus is raising people from the dead every day? Every day. We say, oh, God doesn't do miracles. We're not seeing it every day. The day that you sit down and pray with somebody and accept the Lord, you know what that person just got? What? They just got resurrected. Don't discount that. Physical death is for a moment. Spiritual death and separation from God is forever. When someone comes from death to life, that's a miracle. Oh, I'm getting, getting some kind of way here. Our illnesses, all we go through in this life, all the illnesses we have will not lead to death, as Jesus says. Some of you are here, maybe you have a disease, I don't know, it may be terminal. It's going to kill your physical body, but it will not kill your spiritual, your eternal body. It can't touch it. Dave, you with me? Mm -hmm. yeah. I was saying to Dave this morning, I was like, 
the title for the sermon, I was going to call it Can't Touch This. <laughs> Death can touch you. I, I'm surprised you guys, man, this is like 92, right? You guys, MC Hammer, you guys got it. Oh, man. Death can't touch you. Just can't touch you. Your physical body will one day, this is temporary. It'll go. But you'll live. That's what Jesus is saying when he says this illness does not lead to death. It's not lying. Jesus' physical miracle here really demonstrates the spiritual miracle that is to come. Right? He's saying, I can do this on somebody else, but I'm going to do this for you to see in myself. Right? Regularly, we do this. Verse 26 of the passage is kind of the crowning moment. As Jesus explains his ministry, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he dies, yet shall he live. And everyone who believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? I'm hearing an echo. Is it, I'm having a deja vu. Anybody with me? I feel like I've said this three weeks in a row. Right? Anybody, anybody feel that way? Right? It's almost as if God's trying to tell you something. That Whatever happens, if you give your life, you believe, you will not die. It's not my guarantee. God, I can't guarantee you anything. This is Jesus' guarantee. Jesus wants us to hear this clearly. I can raise people from the dead physically just to show them that I am the Messiah. But what I'm really doing is spiritually raising people from the dead. For a long time in my life, after my mother died and my father was killed, I, I, I was dead. I was dead in my sin and my transgression. I stand before you in great lament to tell you that as a teenager and a young man, I was so dead that I was planning to kill someone else. The man who killed my dad, I wanted to, I wanted to kill for years and years, dead in my transgressions. You know what woke me up? Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. When you are with Jesus, just like when he calls Lazarus out of the tomb, he still had the trappings on him, and he says, come out. You can walk untied. You can be free and unbound by all the trappings that this life has to hold us down, right? You can, you, can, you, can, you can tell death, you can't touch me. Live unbound, untied, unfettered by the ultimate guarantee that you will not die. Are you with me? When we baptize someone like we did a few weeks ago, we look at that ceremony and we do it all the time, right? Someone gets put in the water and they're risen up. That is a symbol of what? Death to life. If you haven't picked it up, I need you to pick it up, right? When you are set free, when you are walking out of the tomb with all the, I don't know what they put on him, when he's coming out, he's been set free to live. See, Lazarus died later on. Right? So the physical miracle is not really the miracle. It is a miracle for us. It's like, oh yeah, Jesus raised somebody from the dead. But every single day, people are being raised from the dead. And sometimes we say, oh, I believe that. But I want you to press into the, do you really believe that? 
that when someone comes to Jesus Christ, right, they come to the point where they are alive. Some of the deepest, darkest places in our city. People come out of those places and it's almost like they've been walking, they've been walking dead for the longest time. And they, they, you, you, they're brought out and all of a sudden they, they catch life. If you haven't made that decision, if you haven't trusted Jesus, if you, if you haven't understood what Jesus was all about, I don't want you to leave our community without understanding that. Without understanding that at some point in your life, you can go from death to life and life abundantly and not be ever snatched up like we talked about last week from Jesus' hands. Have you been unbound? And if you have, are you living? We are here in this community, as I close, walking amongst people who have been dead. Let me go back to the community thing, right? Christian community is, is important in our lives because we, one, we can encourage each other in homes and different places but Christian community shines a light that people who are dead can see, can start finding their way to the Lord from different places and start coming to you, right? We need to see people with the eyes that God, the eye that Jesus sees them with. And man, this person needs to be brought to life. It's not, it's a life, it's a life-changing decision, if you will. This person that I'm standing with needs to be brought to life. Jesus raised Lazarus not just physically, but he raised him so that he could show us that these miracles always happen and people go from death to life when they encounter him. Let us pray. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your grace is sufficient. You have done for us what we could not do for ourselves. May we have eyes to see our neighbors, our friends, who are living in darkness and death. And we can talk to them, reach them, pray for them, and bring them to life. Father God, may you make it so in our lives. We thank you for what you're doing in this city, in our community. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.